Welcome, everyone. I'm Avis Favreau, and I'm excited to be hosting this new season of Invested in Our New Reality, where we'll introduce you to some fascinating innovations taking place in Ottawa's vibrant health technology and life sciences sector. As a journalist, I've spent the last four decades covering health issues from the rise of AIDS right through to the COVID-19 pandemic. But my career in TV actually began with a business show that profiled up-and-coming Canadian entrepreneurs. So it feels like I've come full circle with this podcast. And over the next few weeks, I'll get to speak with Ottawa's health tech leaders who want to change and improve how and where healthcare is delivered to patients worldwide. Today, we're going to be talking about virtual reality. It's more than just about games. VR is moving into the medical realm. My guest today is Justin Sutherland. He's the CEO and co-founder of Realize Medical, technology that's putting surgeons inside the human body to prepare for surgery. He's also a medical physicist and an assistant professor in the Department of Radiology at the University of Ottawa. Justin, welcome to the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with the fact that most people will not know that there is such a thing as medical virtual reality. Why don't you start off by explaining what exactly that is? Yeah. So at this point, I think most people should be familiar with virtual reality technology in general, which is like you have a headset, I have one here, you kind of just stick your face in it, and then you experience this virtual world around you. So in terms of medicine, there's two main ways in which virtual reality can be used. And it basically comes down to who's wearing the headset. So a patient can be using it, in which case it's likely some sort of intervention or therapy. So this can be something like uh, pain management or helping to overcome phobias, all sorts of things like that. Uh, And then there's the second side, which is a physician or some other medical professional wearing it. And in this case, then the technology would be used to enhance something that they do within their daily practice. So in our case, with our platform, we help surgeons plan surgeries by seeing patient anatomy in a virtual environment. And that would be an example of the physician being the user. Right. So it is immersive. Is that the right word? It puts the surgeon inside the body. So the way I like to put it is uh, when the new headsets first came out in 2016, I got one just out of interest and uh, I was showing my dad like this environment where you can basically be on a mountaintop and it's made out of real images, but turned into 3D. And so you really get the sense that you're there on that mountain and you can choose to transport yourself to different locations. And I had him at a cliff edge and he's looking down and it actually feels like he's on the edge of a cliff. I was like, take a step forwards. And he wouldn't do it. And I was like, no, no, you're like, there's floor in front of you. You're not going to fall. And he just couldn't make himself do it because it was so like this visceral feeling like you're there. So that's the best way to kind of explain it. Oh, yeah. Like the visuals aren't necessarily realistic. Like it doesn't convince you that you're seeing exactly the real world, but it does feel like what you're seeing is real, if that makes sense. It does. I fought aliens in a VR (laughs) world once with my husband. And you're right, you get the feeling you're in the middle of it. So Mm -hmm. is that where the idea for your company came from? The main idea came from exploring the different uses of this technology in medical imaging. So just a step back, when patients get medical images, sometimes they're these 3D images like CTs or MRIs, in which case an entire volume of the patient has been captured. 
And we're used to interacting with them on computer screens, kind of scrolling through slices. Imagine that you're like cutting through the patient at different depths. But with virtual reality technology, you can create these 3D environments that are effectively like there around you. And so we spent a bunch of time, uh, my co-founder and I, just tinkering with the different ways that this technology can be used to interact with medical images. Let me go back to the actual genesis of the idea. Was there a moment where you were playing a game where you went, wait, I could do this? Yeah. So the idea was not novel. Um, one of the games that came with the headset was a sample of different experiences that the developers had created. And one of them happened to be these 3D models of an actual person's anatomy. And you can cut through them with this plane that hides anything that's on one side of the plane. And so that was obviously showing the utility of, okay, if we can get three-dimensional visualization of anatomy, then we can do a whole bunch of things in terms of planning what we'll be doing or interacting with this data in different ways. Do you remember what went through your mind? And honestly, at that time, it was, man, someone's really going to do really cool stuff with this. And I just imagined that there would be big companies out there that were solving these problems and spearheading the use of this technology. And? And then uh, over time, we were tinkering internally, and it seemed like no one was really coming up with that wow factor that I was expecting. There were some incremental things that had been put out there or, or initial tests, but it, it never seemed to really take advantage of the possibilities that are there for me. So then uh, our appetite for doing this ourselves grew and grew over time. So you became the first among the first in this area. Definitely among the first. I think one thing that sets us apart is that we've really shown some creative things that can be done with the technology. So not just the obvious things like training a surgeon how to do a particular procedure, but really opening up the space in terms of, okay, how can we present information and data to users? And then how can we give them tools to create new information out of these data sets? So for people who are just learning about this, can you explain sort of step-by-step what happens for a surgeon to go inside somebody's human body using your technology? Right. So a medical image like a CT or an MRI, it captures a three-dimensional volume of a patient's body, right? And then you basically have uh, these set of pixels, but there's three-dimensional pixels now. And those pixels have different values in them that indicate something. For a CT scan, it's more or less density. And so that has some representation of a patient anatomy, but there's more information in there that you can take out. So you can say, okay, this region of it corresponds specifically to the spine, right? And so the information about the shape of the spine is in there, but some additional work needs to be done to turn it into this 3D object. And those are the kinds of 3D objects that you might have in a video game, right? When you see the character there or like a building or a spaceship, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So the images go through some computer program then, and then when the surgeon puts the headset on, where are they? Right. So in our case, you're in a more or less blank, dark environment, and you have this 3D box in front of you that has the image. And then you've told the system where your table is, and there's this plane on the table. And as you move the box that has the image through the plane, you can see these slices of the image. And then with these tools that we give people, you can start drawing on that and then the algorithm works and it pulls out the anatomy. So if you're drawing on the spine and you've set some settings, then suddenly the bones of the spine turn into these 3D objects in front of your eyes. And now you have it there to visualize in a more intuitive way and then do all sorts of planning activities with that. So the doctors can turn the spine, turn the heart? I guess the best visual would be imagine suddenly 
you have a real person in front of you and you are Superman and you can use your x-ray vision to see any part of the body, right? So you could peer through and then see just the spine. You can move around the spine. Maybe you might reposition them, move them around. So it really is exactly that experience. You have these real 3D objects in front of you that are the real representation of the patient anatomy. So it's like giving x-ray vision to physicians, basically. So when you put physicians through it the first time, what's the reaction? Typically quite loud, especially when they see the ease with which they can convert their images into 3D models. So part of what we've done is we've given them tools to create the 3D models out of the images in the virtual environment. So you're almost working like a sculptor with your hands. And then suddenly they see the, the different ways that they can use it to help their particular cases. So one of the unique things that I didn't anticipate from the get-go was that they suddenly see different ways that it can help individual cases where they'll say, oh, like this could figure out if someone needs a stent or not, or I could help figure out if I'm going to cut a pelvis in a certain way to get rid of a tumor, right? So depending on the physician, they all have another idea on how it can be used. It's even uh, used to like plan heart transplants, right? So you have a, a patient who needs a heart and there's a candidate and you want to see if that heart will fit. You make a 3D model of that patient's body and then a 3D model of the candidate heart. And then you can place it with your hands, like in that body, in the virtual environment and see like, is this going to fit properly? You can start measuring things. So the, the possibilities are kind of endless. And it's really exciting to see where people take this type of technology for sure. Mm -hmm. How does it help the patients? So in terms of our platform, the patient benefit comes in two ways. One would be facilitating the procedure that will be done, right? So if, if your physician has a better plan or an idea of what they're going to do ahead of time, that might reduce complications in the OR suite. It could reduce surgical time and then potentially also improved outcomes for the patients after these procedures. A secondary benefit is that this technology can be used to consult with patients in a manner that's much more easily understood. So we've had it described to us that like, oh, I'll go to a surgeon and he'll show me my CT scan. And it just looks like abstract art, right? You, you can't understand it. But then if they show you your real body in 3D, and in fact, they can be there with you where you're two floating heads in this virtual environment discussing your body that's there in front of you, then you can really understand what it is that's going to happen during this procedure. And you can be put at ease that they know what they're doing. So some surgeons have actually brought patients inside their own bodies to see what they're going to do. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is you can actually be inside. So because you have like this unlimited flexibility in how you visualize things, you can change the scale. So it basically just by grabbing the two hands and stretching them apart, you can make the whole body as large as your house. So then you're literally inside your body looking at things almost like Miss Frizzle in the Magic School Bus, that cartoon that used to be there. That's amazing. I'm not sure I'd want to see inside my body, but... <laughs> But I can only imagine for sort of aortic aneurysms and extra veins and arteries that have grown and they try to figure that out. That's amazing. So when you got the idea for this and you decided you wanted to turn this into a business, where did you go for the initial support, financing, advice to get this going? Because you're in the medical field, you're not a business person. Yeah, we kind of fell into it. So my co-founder and I are medical physicists, which is uh, technical people who have PhDs in physics that work in a hospital and specifically in the treatment of cancer with radiation. So broadly, our job is to make sure that the whole process from plan to the machine delivering the radiation happens safely and accurately. But we're also experts in medical imaging. That is the science of medical physics. 
So when we were developing this stuff, basically we asked the tech transfer office at the Ottawa hospital, is this something that potentially could be patented? And they said, yes, but then you have to commercialize it. And at that time, our sophisticated knowledge of the process was you invent something, you make a patent, and then there's money somehow. <laughs> uh, so it really was like stumbling into it. Uh, eventually, we got some advice that we should launch a company and then license the patent from the hospital to commercialize the technology ourselves. And then that's what we ended up doing. Um, and then through things like Invest Ottawa and the pre-accelerator that they had at the time, we learned all the things that we didn't know and kind of took it step by step until here, here we are. Right. So was it advice that was more important or was it the funding or both? Initially, I think that we benefited quite a bit and uh, we're very grateful to the opportunity to have developed this technology while at the hospital. Um, so being given the opportunity to tinker like we did and then being supported in our endeavor to spin out a company and basically take a step back and try to make a go of it. That was, I think, the largest benefit. Secondary to that would definitely be the advice that we were given when we were just getting started uh, to figure out how to do what it is that we were trying to do. And then finally, after that, uh, I'd say like after about a year of those types of efforts, then it was uh, getting fundraising from local angels and things like that. So let's talk about the medical end of it, and then we'll come back a, a bit more to the business side of it. So this medically extended reality is now a legitimate branch of medicine. I discovered there's a medical journal. There's something like 18,000 studies that have been done on this. You're actually at the start of a, a wave. Mm -hmm. And I see that you've now been presenting uh, this technology that you've called Eleusis. Where does that name come from? How did you come up with that? Candidly, Eleusis was basically something that we could come up with quickly that didn't have any trademarks and we could get the domain name for. But Eleusis, as two words, is from light in Latin. And it kind of was a, a reference to how all of this is enabled by the medical imaging, which is effectively light uh, at high energies, so radiation. And then also the light that's being shot into your eyes from these head-mounted devices can enable these magical worlds that you're experiencing things in. And so kind of all that together. That's a good name. Oh, um, and now I also see that medical teams are testing it. So there was a group in Germany that did a test of it to see how it worked with their surgeons. Tell me what they found. Yeah, so they were testing specifically uh, whether creating these 3D models from images was faster and easier in a virtual environment. So for context, it's typically done laboriously on a computer screen where you're scrolling through and you're marking up various portions of these medical images to turn them into 3D models. Our hypothesis at the beginning was that you're trying to solve a 3D problem with 2D tools. So there's naturally going to be a mismatch there. And so we developed tools that you can do this in the virtual environment in 3D, almost like a sculptor using their hands. And so they tested how that compared to the conventional way of doing it on a screen. And they found that it was faster. Uh, they found it required fewer edits to make a, it an accurate model. Uh, people generally were more confident in the result. And then they actually found it more comfortable, which is a little odd. You would think that wearing something on your face might make it less comfortable, but just the fact that you're you're moving around, it's a bit more ergonomic in terms of the workflow. So what does that tell you in terms of its application? Uh, so for us specifically, it's that people will want to work in virtual environments. I mean, that's been our experience that after seeing the value that it can provide, whatever hesitation to adopting a new device like a, a wearable headset definitely gets diminished. So that was a big plus for us. Mm -hmm. Now, when did you actually start working on the company year-wise? 
Yeah. So the company was incorporated in 2019. And I like to joke that in the first eight to 10 months, we were LARPing, like live action role-playing, having a company kind of like, I'll be the CEO. Now you can be the CEO. <laughs> we really didn't know what we were doing. Uh, so technically 2019, but then it was near the end of that year when it really started to become something real. All right. 2019, the pandemic, did it slow you down? We were actually going to launch our product and go to a small conference in February of 2020. And, or maybe it was March, I can't remember, but two days before we were set to go, everything shut down. They canceled all the flights, the conference got canceled and basically went immediately into lockdown. So it definitely hindered us. There was a couple benefits, which were that it really made us focus on making our product broadly available, uh, meaning we quickly made it compatible with all the headsets that are out there because we now knew that the only way to reach people was if they already had VR because we weren't going to be able to show it to them. And then in addition to that, uh, we very quickly developed a fully integrated remote collaboration, meaning that you could have people from separate locations all wearing their own headset, but then joining across network connections. And so instead of you and I being connecting over Zoom, it would be as if your virtual presence was right there in front of me. And then we could have the information that we're dealing with together and interacting with it as if it's there in real life and we're in the same room. That was basically an effort to try to overcome the limitations of being able to get in person. And that's definitely helped us distinguish our product from the things that are out there. Would that mean that surgeons in different cities, different countries can collaborate on complex cases? They do collaborate on complex cases. So we teach our users how to use the platform remotely. But more than that, uh, physicians from hospitals across the state or from different countries actually do connect to talk about things. Uh, there was actually a case that we facilitated with the Ottawa Hospital uh, because we continue research and development with them, um, where we had an orthopedic surgeon that want to consult on a pediatric case with an expert at SickKids. And so one of our sales team members lives in Toronto. He went to SickKids with a headset, and then the two of them consulted with the virtual information between them in this virtual room that they were sharing. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really exciting. It, what were they able to repair? What were they trying to fix? This is a, a cancer case. So there was a large tumor that had invaded the bone of the patient. And it was basically trying to figure out how they should proceed with the surgery. So two doctors, two cities working on the same case in virtual reality. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like you have this virtual world where they can connect with each other in a way that has rich information, much more so than just on a phone call or even a video chat. So if my math is right, in less than three years, you got clearance from the US FDA to sell this in the States. A bit less than three years, maybe just under the mark. Is that remarkable? Sounds fast. It was It was definitely a lot of work. Uh, I'm not actually sure how long it takes other companies, but it, it felt like we were rushing to get it done as quickly as possible for sure. All right. So pending orders, how many doctors or how many clinics are using this? right now? So we have 15 hospitals that are customers worldwide, primarily in the United States, but anywhere from the UK, Saudi Arabia, in terms of the interest. So since COVID, there's been definitely an increase in the interest in this type of activity, but then also the time that physicians have to engage with new technologies has just in the last six months really started to change. So we currently have 12 institutions that are undergoing full trials of the platform to see if they want to start using it. Uh, and then we have another 15 lined up ready to start. And we have like large organizations with uh, pretty high profile names in the list, which is exciting. Very good. How do you price something like this? 
Uh, so for us, we we followed the typical pricing model for this type of software, which is an annual license that people pay per installation. And does the Ottawa Hospital uh, benefit from it? Yeah, so the Ottawa Hospital benefits in a couple ways. Um, one, we do have a license agreement for the patent that we we did through them. And so there's some uh, financial benefit to them through that. But primarily, I think the benefit is that uh, we've decided to keep a very close relationship with the Ottawa Hospital. And so we've been facilitating a great deal of uh, research and then also more recently clinical use of the platform at the hospital. That's because my co-founder and I still have positions there. And then also uh, our license agreement with them means that they get to use it for non-commercial uses. But we've basically leaned into that and done everything we can to make them experts in this technology, which is definitely paying off. So that helps really give it a Canadian slash Ottawa foothold in this industry. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because Ottawa has basically been slowly becoming experts in this quietly since COVID. There's a lot of stuff that's just coming out now in terms of the research that they've been doing, but I think they're really going to make a splash in this type of activity for sure. Okay. Now, when we were talking about how you sell this, health budgets are severely uh, stressed right now, particularly Mm -hmm. in Canada, but you see it also in Europe and the United States. How do you market something like this that is a high-tech tool, an add-on, when you've got all this uh, financial stress in the system. We need the innovation, but it's also a hard time to break in. Has that been a challenge? So prior to FDA clearance, we were selling for research use only, um, so non-clinical use, which meant that uh, a lot of times people were using research funds to purchase the the use of the software. Um, And so that continues today, obviously. But then uh, for us, the, the return on investment for hospitals really comes down to adopting this technology in comparison to other options. So, for example, 3D printing has been the modality of choice for 3D visualization for several decades now, and it still has a great deal of value to, to medicine. But 3D printing has a large incremental cost where you have to pay for the materials to create these 3D printed objects. Basically, you're, you're producing the same result, but instead of being a digital form, it's this physical object that you hand off to a surgeon. It also takes a lot more time to do that versus doing a digital alternative. And then there's limitations like having to ship at places or can't be easily duplicated. Whereas with our environment in the virtual world, you can basically just connect remotely over the internet and you can copy as many times as you like. So if an institution is already doing 3D printing, then our software can help them scale up that process in a way that doesn't increase the incremental costs or the ongoing costs as much. It could replace 3D printing. I've seen the plastic hearts that they use before surgery, and it takes time, like with the printers. How long does it take to load up the images for you to be able to do 3D? Can you do it for emergencies or it has to be for planned surgeries? It's definitely fast enough for emergencies. So the time it takes depends on the complexity of the case and the difficulty in visualizing the anatomy. So you have a user that's there creating the content from the images. And if it's a simple case, you could be done in five minutes, starting from importing the images to having the final product. More complex cases typically can take uh, anywhere from 20 minutes to two hours, but that's pretty much the upper limit. And that's one of the things that we've reduced the time with our 3D tools compared to the conventional alternatives. If you're looking at a comparison between that and 3D printing, you would include then the time it takes to do any kinds of post-processing uh, so digital post-processing to prepare it to a printer, sending it to the printer, and then taking that result and, and finishing it up. That can take anywhere from 12 hours to two days. 
I see. Do hospitals have to buy bigger computers, more memory, more power in order to manage this? Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing that has been a, a bit of a challenge for us is that the technology does require a high powered graphics card. And it's not something that's typically readily available within hospitals, but they're easily accessed. I mean, you can buy them anywhere. So it's just about getting people to to try it and then adopt it. So in terms of your personal work, being in the hospital and being a business person now, how do you divide the time? Yeah. So at the moment, uh, I'm not actually working at the hospital. We still have casual positions, but we've stepped back to do the company full time. Uh, that was a decision that we made during COVID, just that the company required our full attention. The efforts that we still have at the hospital are largely related to collaboration in terms of facilitating their research and use of the platform. So what would you say, because I, I imagine you've been learning a lot on this two and a half year, three year journey. Absolutely. What was your biggest surprise going from basically full-time health to combo health and business? My biggest surprise I'd say would have been how stimulating and engaging I find that world. So I was always a scientist, like I did a PhD in physics, uh, really interested in that stuff. And I thought that that was the only thing that I would really uh, find engaging. And the more that I've gotten into business, it really is about taking all that stuff that you do in science and engineering, but then building this extra layer of complexity on top of it, like how to make that into this organization that actually flourishes. And there's so many interesting problems there and new things to learn every day. So that, that's definitely been something I didn't expect. You like being a business person. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly. I didn't expect it, but I, I definitely do. What has been your biggest disappointment during this business journey? You know, I was surprised at how long the process for selling into hospitals is. So I had always been on the recipient side of that type of thing. And I wasn't really involved in that all that many purchasing decisions in my role at the hospital. So I didn't really have an idea for how complex and long these processes are with multiple stakeholders. It's kind of a mixed bag. So in some sense, it's it's something I didn't expect. And I definitely wish it were quicker. But it's also one of those things that can be really interesting to try to figure out how to improve the process on our end. So working with hospitals on business ventures or having to sell them products is a different niche market because their decisions are made on a different basis. Yeah. And with hospitals and selling devices into hospitals, there's a great many steps and a large number of stakeholders. So with a technology like ours, it's not immediately obvious what the benefit is if you're just looking at it vaguely from the outside. Once people try the headset, they're blown away and they can't wait to start using it, but they're not the only person that's involved in making the decision. There's people that have to look at the dollars and cents. There's people that maybe are very skeptical of the value of the technology in general. And so for a sale to happen within a hospital, you have to get all these multiple stakeholders involved and there's many steps at which one of them might veto the decision or, or decide to stall it. And so it really is about figuring out who's involved in the process and how to get them all on board. FDA clearance is obviously a huge benefit for us in that regard, because prior to that, we actually couldn't sell the product for its intended use, which is to facilitate clinical procedures, right? It was only something that could be used for research. And so it's hard to, to communicate the value to people that are only peripherally involved when you can't even say what the value is, right? True. So do you have clearance to sell this in Canada then? Yes, you have. No, health. we don't have Health Canada approval. That's definitely next on the list. Uh, but we started with FDA. And Europe? Europe is happening, uh, Australia and the UK. 
we're basically going to be growing and going into all the jurisdictions. Do you feel more like a scientist or a business person by now? Definitely an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, I caught the bug. Caught the bug. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's well, you're creating uh, jobs, you're creating new value and a business venture, right? I don't know. Do you have employees? Yeah, we have a team of 10 people at the moment. So we've been growing over the last several years. Fantastic. Now, going back to when you started, if you could have told yourself one thing as you were starting the road to being an entrepreneur that you wish you had known back then, what would it be? You will never feel like you have enough time to do all the things that you have to do. And you just have to make peace with the fact that you'll always feel like you're not getting enough done because that's just the world of having a startup. There's way too many things and not enough time to do it. And you're always barely scraping by. And just knowing that that was what the experience would be like would have helped. I've learned it now and I'm totally made peace with it, but it'd be nice to know it ahead of time. So balance in life, despite giving birth to a business. Yeah. And I think also just feeling peaceful with the fact that it's going to be chaotic and there's nothing you can really do about it. So you're not failing because you feel like you're not getting enough done. That's just what it is. That's a good philosophy. So what comes next for Realize Medical? What's your next goal? So our next goal relates to a particular product initiative that we have called Eleusis Mobile. So we had talked previously about how our platform requires high-powered computers, but there's a growing variety of standalone headsets that aren't connected to PCs. And so we've built an extension of our platform that allows for the consumption of these 3D information. So the models have been made and now you're viewing and planning. And we've made a, an extension to our platform that works on these standalone mobile headsets. And for us, that's really exciting because then within a hospital, someone might be creating the 3D content and then they can bring the headset to a surgeon to use there. And so it really fits their workflows. So that's something that we're currently launching in a closed beta with some of our customers. And then we'll be releasing as a, a full product later this year. So the units you have now, they have to be plugged into a computer or a system in an area. This is portable. So yes. how would you see it being used then? So the grand vision is uh, a surgeon has a headset on their desk, maybe like the MediQuest Pro that came out, and they get an email from the person who's been preparing their project and it says, hey, your case is ready. They put on the headset, it's right there. They click it and it downloads it. And then suddenly they're in a virtual environment to plan the procedure that they have upcoming. Then they ping their colleague. That person puts on their own headset wherever they are. Maybe they're at home. And now suddenly they've joined together in this virtual environment, speaking and discussing the case that's going to happen. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not too far off. Uh, we'll be there pretty soon. When do you expect to have that done? Later this year. And then further down the road, do you have a goal? Yeah, definitely in many different medical specialties, there's a broad range of applicability of this technology to all sorts of things, uh, orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, cardiology, you name it. Um, but then from a technology perspective, we focus a great deal right now on pre-procedure planning. So giving physicians better information to plan what it is that they're going to do. The natural extension to that is actually facilitating the intervention, right? You mean during the surgery so yeah. that they would use this during the surgery. Okay. And I see this happening in incremental steps. The first is referring to the plan that you've made in the OR suite. So that is, you're not using anything to guide your intervention, but you're just using a more media-rich technology like augmented reality or a 3D monitor to refer to the plan that you've already created. 
Then the final step for that would be to actually put it on the patient and have some sort of guidance so that you can actually help the procedure happen. This is already happening in limited uh, ways for specific indications within medicine, and people are definitely going after that as an end goal. My personal uh, opinion on it as a medical physicist who's used to dealing with like the accuracy of millimeters and the delivery of radiation is that the technology on the visualization side is just not quite there yet. So we're, there are some cases I think where it can definitely be used safely, but for the broad use of this technology, like the physician looks at the patient and sees an overlay of the information that he needs in an accurate and aligned way. That's definitely a few years out in my opinion, but it's something that we're definitely moving towards with our product. What would be your goal? So I'm of the opinion that it's inevitable that computer monitors will be somewhat supplanted, I think significantly supplanted by mixed reality technology in the same way that those light boxes were supplanted by computer monitors. So the physician used to take the, the x-ray and like stick it up on that box. Um, we don't do that anymore, except in rare cases. Um, now everything's on a computer monitor. I think the same thing will happen with mixed reality technology. And I definitely want us to play a large role in, in helping to get there. So you mean taking your technology and making Zoom virtual? Yeah, uh, that's one way to put it for sure. And then just helping this technology become ubiquitous in medicine. I think there's a ton of untapped value that we're still exploring. And it's a large task to get people, especially in medicine, to adopt new things that are completely out of the ordinary. But I would definitely want our company to help make that happen. It's true. I read something that says it takes 17 years for a development to actually make it through, to actually be used somewhere. It's 17 years. So Yeah. Well, in medicine, it's particularly difficult to adopt new technology, but for very good reason. So you have multiple stakeholders that are involved. So it has to serve everyone's needs. It's important to have efficient workflows. And there's a great deal of interoperability between systems in hospitals. So the image repository has to speak to the thing that analyzes the images all this type of thing. And so if you introduce something that solves a piece of a problem for one person, but then makes the workflow more difficult, they just simply can't adopt it. It has to basically be a full solution that solves the full problem. And then also pleases the multiple stakeholders that are involved in the decision while also not causing a great deal of extra cost at the very least, but hopefully saving money, right? That's a huge thing to achieve for any given product. So it's definitely a challenge to, to implement innovation in medicine. I know you're a young man, but what do you want to be remembered for? I think being a part of bringing this new technology into the medical field would definitely make me happy. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And uh, I hope people will look up what you're doing and, uh, you know, cheer on Canadian research. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Virtual reality and medical care sounds like it might be something from the future, but this company is proof it's already here and Ottawa, in fact, has a strong foothold in the field. It's been a pleasure being part of this podcast today. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. We'll have more important health tech conversations lined up in the coming weeks, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For now, though, I'm Avis Favreau. More next time on Invested in Our New Reality. Thank you.